Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Not Another Sales Guy. In the episode today, I'm joined by my guest, Sarah Jo Crawford, and we're going to be talking all around the power of storytelling in sales. We're going to be talking exactly what we mean by this, how do we use stories to help us sell, what are the pitfalls of bad storytelling, and also some practical tips on how you can get better at storytelling to make you successful. So sit back, grab a pen and pad, and enjoy. Sarah, hello, how are you? Awesome, how are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. You are quite welcome. I'm super happy to be here. Great, great. I thought it'd be great to start off with, uh, for the listener's perspective, to give a bit of an overview in terms of who you are and what's your story. My name is Sarah Joe, and I work for, I don't work for actually, I run a company called Sparkworth. I run it with my husband out of our home, and we work with professional speakers. We build websites, we help write books, we do everything from the handouts that you do at the speaking gigs to email newsletters, basically everything speakers need to be doing when they step off the stage. Great. And on the topic of stories, it seems quite fitting that that's what we're going to be discussing today is the power of storytelling within the world of sales or, or everyday life, really. So in your interpretation, what, what do you think of when you, when you hear the word storytelling? So right off the bat, I'm, I'm a big fan of fiction. So my brain goes to, oh, like, tell me an exciting story with a hero and, you know, typical plot lines. And what I've learned as I've applied my love of fiction to the business world and business writing and sales is a story at its core just takes you on a journey. It gets you excited. It has some twists and turns. And at the end, you feel satisfied. And even if it's a cliffhanger with, because with sales, cliffhangers are actually kind of ideal, right? Like let's continue this on a a call. So crafting stories, while it does sound like, I'm going to tell you a story about my childhood, it really just comes down to piquing people's interests taking them on a journey where they have an idea of what's coming next. They think they might know what the ending's going to be. And then you get the opportunity to take them on a twist or take them where they thought they'd go. It just kind of gives the storyteller the power to direct without the listener feeling like they're being, you know, just talked at. Mm, yeah. It's just, it's painting a picture really, isn't it as well in the, in mm-hmm. the customer's mind or the, or the people you're speaking to. And as you can say, as you said, um, just sharing sharing the story of, of the process almost rather than just one point in time is sure. that's why people can relate so much to stories. And that's why we always remember our favorite story when we were a kid, bedtime story, book, mm-hmm. film, because it's so relatable. So on that, why do you think stories help us sell, first of all? Well, stories are inherently human. Some of the, you know, the most exciting news that will hit is there's a narrative, there's a story, there's more than just statistics coming out, Mm. right? There's like a story behind it. So with some of the recent stuff, and I don't want to get political here, so I I promise I'm not, (laughs) but with some of the recent, you know, immigration stuff that's been coming up, there's always a narrative around it. There's someone you care about. There's somebody pulling on your heartstrings. Like journalists do this all the time. And with sales, you can do the same thing. You can get people to believe in you and fall in love with you and want to follow you by using those same methodologies. Because as you said, like even as kids, we know we like stories. And on that note, wait, hold on really quick. What was your favorite story as a kid? 
Oh, probably. Well, my favorite film as a kid was probably Homeward Bound. Oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> that's so random. Two dogs and a cat, but I can still remember that story. In terms of favorite story, probably Grimm's Fairy Tales. There's a lot of things in there that really, really stick to me still. Uh, Grimm's, aren't those ones pretty dark? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. That's, that's pretty telling. That's pretty telling. <laughs> How about you? You know what? I don't have a specific story I remember. I do remember vividly the time I tried to write my own story. Hmm. And I typed it up on the computer and printed it out and like put it in a special folder. And then as I went through to read it, I realized how many holes I'd left in the story and how bad it was. <laughs> and it was really eye-opening. I remember vividly the holes in it. It was it was a little disheartening as a child to be like, oh, this is actually rather difficult. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there. First of all, around it being more memorable that's why it's so powerful to use stories but also more than just statistics and i think when we initially spoke i I shared some of this with you but i was reading um an article recently from the london school of business where they were talking about uh, how we retain information and they found Mm -hmm. that if people are just using stats then people are going to pick up or retain five or ten percent of that if you couple a picture with it it jumps to 25 percent but they found when you actually put all that information into a story, it jumps to 65 or 70%. And without getting too psychological here, I think it's one of the reasons behind it is it engages both sides of the brain. This is what stories mm-hmm. really does for us. And particularly the right side, it engages those emotions and helps create those anchors, which we're able to relate to. Because obviously every story we listen to, even now to when we were a child, we're always rooting for someone within that story. We've always got an opinion on it. And we always start then using our imagination to form an idea of what that actually looks like. Sure. Have you heard of uh, memory palaces or the concept of like extreme memorization? No. Okay. So I think you might like this then, because it kind of goes along the same principle with stories we remember. And even further with that is when the stories become visceral Mm. and we can feel them in these uh, really high com- 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 <laughs> competitive competitions where people have to memorize things. Mm-hmm. They see who can memorize the most. The way they do that is by creating memory palaces and they create really vivid like visualizations of what's happening. So if they have to memorize a string of numbers, they say, okay, the first number is three. There's three elephants riding on, three bicycles. What Mm -hmm. do they smell like? Well, they smell really bad. And one of them's wearing glasses. And so then they say, okay, the next is four, the number four, there's four doors and the elephants go slamming in. So it's this bizarre, but very memorable visceral things. And that is how, I mean, that's how the best of the best memorize and retain Mm. is by creating those really bizarre stories. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, so if I can get people on board, even viscerally, it makes a big difference in what they're able to retain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's a great way as well to help us differentiate ourselves, particularly in the in a crowded world nowadays, particularly with social media, whether this be through your website, your videos, your pitches when you're face to face, is by being able to tell an effective story, it, it gives the customer or the other person listening to you an idea about who you really are and why you're doing what you do, rather than necessarily just what you do. Mm-hmm. There was a um, a guy, actually, who I was reading up about uh, last week, actually, a guy called Chip Heath. Have you heard of the book called Made to Stick? 
I think I have. I haven't read it though. I can tell you that yeah. much. So um, Chip Heath wrote this book, Made to Stick, but he's also a lecturer. And he trialed this small study with his class. He split them into eight groups of four and he picked a random topic and asked four of the groups to present a argument for and four of them to present an argument against. And they were given one minute to present. Went away, talked about what they were going to present, came back, eight one minute, one minute presentations. On average, statistics were used 2.5 times in each presentation, whereas stories were only used once. They finished the presentation. Chip puts the video on, non-related to the topic. And then 10 minutes later, stops it and asks everyone in the class to write down everything that they can remember from those presentations. And this is where it's quite astonishing and and sort of backs up what we're talking around here. Only 5% were able to recall the statistics 63% are able to record the stories. And I think what's important here is, and I think what we need to clarify as well, what we're not dismissing is do not use statistics. Do not talk about them when you're selling because they're effective. But the key part here is build them into a story. Don't just put them on their own because I think the thing with a statistic is it, it tells you a particular point. It tells you an outcome. But put it into a story, you have the process and the outcome, which is the most effective way to sell. Absolutely. And it's kind of on that interesting note and it doesn't even have to be a long story, right? Mm. So there's a statistic out there. I think it's one in four uh, people in the U.S. will experience some kind of mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And so I've shared that a lot with people, but in and of itself, it's not that (laughs) engaging of a fact. You're like, oh, it's kind of surprising and move on with your life. But if you say, okay, so imagine you're at a dinner table and it's your significant other and another couple, one of those people sitting at the table is most likely either suffering or has suffered or will suffer. And all of a sudden they're there, they're at dinner and they're like, Oh, out of just that few amount of people. So it's just, it's a quick story. Right. But when you do that, if you just don't leave the statistic as it is, and you put it in the context of their life, it makes such a big difference in retaining that. And I feel like, and you were talking about students, right? I didn't mishear Mm. that in that story. Yeah. If, especially with students, we tend to teach them to focus on statistics and focus on the stats and the numbers. And that's something I think it's kind of missing is teaching people how to use those statistics in a way people care about. Mm-hmm. Cause inherently we're all just kind of grown up children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and on that point as well, it's, you know, what we're clarifying here is well, it's great to use stories, but there is an art to it as well. It's not just thinking, Oh, I'm just going to tell a story and I'm going to become more effective and people are going to remember it. Because I think there are a number of pitfalls when people go into it, like anything else. So it's it's a skill and it's a it's an art. What do you think, or what have you experienced from what you've seen um, of some of the pitfalls of people who maybe use storytelling but in an ineffective way? Sure. So whether it's like a sales pitch or actually trying to illustrate a point using a story, sometimes they can become all about making you sound good. Mm. So the person telling the story or making the sales pitch, they want to make themselves sound good, feel good. They want to be impressive. So they make themselves the hero. Mm -hmm. And that does very, very little for the person listening. They're like, I don't care who you are. And even if it is a story about you or a story that you were involved in, the best stories get the the listener engaged and they, they there's something that matters to them about it. And if you can make your listener the hero of the story, that's like 10 times better than you being the hero of the story because it's not about you 
And that's one of the biggest pitfalls I see is people think, well, if I tell a great story or I walk them through, you know, my experience or they walk, I walk them through how good I am at something that doesn't tell them why they should listen. Mm. A few people can get away with this, especially if they're coming to you for your story. Like they just want a story. Great. But especially in a sales context, some I've seen a few people take this storytelling idea and completely flip it on its head and becoming a bragging. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they think that that's what that means, but it's not, you know, inherently it's taking people on a journey and then using the tools you have. So using testimonies you have and using stats you have as you weave them in to strengthen the points and, you know, create a more visceral experience, not just throwing stats at them, but then not also just, you know, recounting an experience. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm on that point, actually, I was spoke to uh, another of my guests, uh, John Sane last week and he was talking about sometimes what you'll find in the world of sales is optometrists eye specialists and he didn't mean literally the specialists that deal with eyes but those people who speak with i did this i did that and Mm. all you can hear from those people as you mentioned is that they're specialists and just explaining what they're good at and what they're doing without actually as you said which i I love the phrase you said there is making the customer the hero of the story i think it's so powerful when you use your insight and your understanding which a lot of people sometimes don't utilize effectively of your customer's world when you're talking about your product or solution. Don't paint the picture of your world, paint the picture of theirs and how it'll actually fit in with their everyday life. Mm-hmm. This kind of relates to, and it's probably a completely different topic that we can do a whole different podcast around, but <laughs> it's relating it to the problem you're solving, really. That's mm-hmm. the thing that you need to relate it to. That's the story that needs to be built around that is what problem are you solving and how is this story going to, going to showcase that what's funny is infomercials are the absolute best at this and obviously they have they do a lot wrong right like Mm. people are like oh that's excellent branding but they tell such a clear and deliberate story there's a reason they work they come out and they say this is your life it's a mess and they show all of these dramatized tupperware falling out people slipping and then they say here's our here's our product and they say this is what your life's going to look like now Mm-hmm. And they show people, and while it's super dramatic, once again, it clearly works. Like they did it with a snuggie. They just <laughs> they showed people what their how terrible their life is without you know with just blankets. And if you ever need like a refresher and how to tell a good story, go watch an infomercial because they do it again, and it's repetitive, and they it's all focused on the customer. Mm. Yeah, such a good point. And I think also one of the other points that are sort of pitfalls of bad storytelling is just overcomplicating it. I mean, you touched on the point mm-hmm. earlier around, you know, you can still keep a, a story very brief and still create a powerful message around it. And some people go the other way and they feel like you'll see videos on YouTube or um, LinkedIn of people doing sort of 10, 15 minute videos. And it's thinking you could have just simplified that in three or four minutes and you just overcomplicated it and lost anybody's attention really. Oh, absolutely. I have a personal pet peeve with people who are speaking specifically on videos and they overset the scene in regards to themselves. So they'll start with being like, hey, I'm here and I'm sitting in my office and like giving a lot of context as to where they are, but not as it relates to the story. Mm-hmm. And that is where I think they lose a lot of attention because once again, it's about them and their audience doesn't care. The audience wants to know, you know, why should I keep watching? And jumping right into why it matters to them mm. is is one of the most underutilized 
storytelling techniques I'm seeing on the internet today where there's a lot of people just copying other people mm-hmm. and we're losing that getting to the point a lot quicker and getting to what matters to them is mm-hmm. just, it's so important. And yeah, they, they draw out these 15 minute stories that could have been told in two and they lose people and their message gets kind of lost in it, or maybe they jumped around. So they're telling a story, but they're telling it very poorly. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, um, uh, I can't remember his his name now, but he said, why put a policeman in an automobile when a cop in a car will do? Oh, Warren Buffett. I like that. Oh, of course. It's I'm going to write that down. <laughs> it's just keeping it really simple. Is thinking, you know, how do I simplify what I'm trying to say? And also think, I think sometimes people take for granted, and this is where bad storytelling can come, is that the customer knows as much as they do and that you should be able to approach something when you're pitching for a story to the to your customer and think i'm going to treat it like they know nothing and i need to keep this really simple so they understand it well and there's also this idea that people think if they don't go really really deep then they're not providing value Mm. but most people inherently know most of what they need to know what they need and what a lot of salesmen need to do is remind them of what they already know Mm. and bring that up emotionally so you're not going to go to a, a, a leader in a company and be like, here's a really deep dive analysis of what your problem is. They're like, no, 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 no. I know what the problem is. I need a solution. I need you to get to it quickly. Mm. And just getting there so fast makes their day so much easier. Because, I mean, the people that we want to work with, they don't have time to sit there and listen to you explain their problems for 15 minutes. They want to know that you understand them, but they need you to get to the point. Yeah yeah definitely definitely i think um you know one of the examples that strikes me when i was in my uh, old job i was working with a telecoms company and they went to a pitch for red bull racing and all the director did when he sat in front of them was he pointed at their piece of equipment which was a radio of some sorts and said how all i want to know i don't care what you do just tell me how is that going to make my car go faster Hmm. And, you know, particularly in this day and age where I think the customer is so much more well-informed through research and they say people are about 70 or 80% of the way there by the time they contact a business. As you mm-hmm. say, is it's not necessarily educating them on what you do. It's just bringing across your how you're different and, and why you're the right fit for them and how you actually understand them, which is so important to your point earlier, is how you make them the hero of the story, not you. Absolutely. And it's totally fine in those instances specifically to be explicit. Like, Mm. here's why you should work with me and not somebody else. People are sometimes tend to be afraid of just being forward Mm -hmm. or even just, you don't even, sometimes you don't even need to do the here's why you can be so brief and with design and with all the tools we have available, it's so much easier to create context. So we don't need to over explain anymore. We can create even shorter stories. I mean, uh, who is it? They do the tell a story in like six words. Or my husband does a challenge with friends where it's tell a story in three sentences. And there's so much you can do using the context that's already available. So like a really good example is if you get on my website and there's a picture of a phone with the website on it. And I just said, book more gigs. I'd be like, oh, looks like she's there's a website. So she probably builds websites. And oh, okay, so I'm going to book more gigs as a public speaker. You can tell these shorter stories 
using the context that's available, especially if you're making social media posts, if you're, you know, the, the name of your company is explanatory. If your image kind of creates more context, we can use the tools and look at the big picture to create a lot more context than creating a long introduction for every video because someone's doing the video, there's probably context around it. Yeah, definitely. So, so on that, obviously, we've, you know, we talked about what we mean by storytelling and, and how it can help us and, and why it's beneficial. What are some of the things for listeners' perspective of how they can become more effective or better at telling stories or storytelling through sales? Uh, first, try to explain what you're selling to a child, three or four. Just go to your niece and nephew, your kid, and be like, can I tell you what I do? And then see if they can repeat it back to you. Because if you can explain it to a child, then you understand it wholeheartedly. And I'm talking even some of the most complex things. I've worked with a company that what they do was so nuanced. Part of the hiring process was, can you explain to me, to, to the recruiter, what we do in one sentence? And that was one of the fastest way they weeded people out. And it's the only way to explain some of those more complex offerings is by explaining what the customer benefit is. Mm-hmm. So in the instance of that car, it's not we design pistons and other car terms. It's we make your car go faster by changing the way it uses gas. Yeah. Right. So it's it's all customer focused. And when you do that, when you, you know, approach everything you do from can I get this into one or two sentences? Can I explain what I'm doing to a toddler? And, and if you can't explain it to a toddler, then it's got to be can I get a toddler to care? Probably not. That's a, that's an extra challenge, but starting there, starting with, can I explain this to a toddler? Can I explain this to a sales leader? And I'll give you one more sentence. So you get two sentences to explain it to a leader. If you go above two, they just don't have the time. And it, it honestly comes off as a little disrespectful. If you spend 10 minutes explaining what you do, it's saying, I don't value your time. And I didn't take the time to think about what I really do. I was, I spoke with some veterans yesterday, some veteran entrepreneurs, military veterans, to be clear. Uh, and I, I kind of ragged on them a little bit, but I'd be like, oh, what do you do? And they'd start talking and they'd get about 10 seconds in and I go bored because realistically that's what's happening. Um, so one of the things I've, I also recommend people do is try to tweet what their company does. If you can't fit it in a tweet, you don't understand it well enough. And if people aren't excited about reading that tweet, then you've really <laughs> crafted a poor story. Yeah. Is so, that old school tweets or new school tweets? You know what? I'm willing to concede on the new school tweets. <laughs> it's not ideal, but I have to keep up with the times. But I, I still think in 140 characters. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, what comes down to this as well, with how you can become better at storytelling is staying true to your own natural style of what comes across. Because what we're not just talking about here is face-to-face we're talking about for example particularly in this day and age of social media blogs videos podcasts is whatever feels right for you whatever you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. when you are trying to engage with customers and tell your story don't as you said earlier try and do everything that everyone else is doing because that just might not suit you it might not be your style but you know you could be a really effective person at writing a blog post but if you tried to tell that story on video that passion just wouldn't come across in the same way and you'd lose people from it. So it's not trying to be everything to everyone. It's finding that, that angle of what works for you and staying true to that at the same time. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I mean, I caught my stride when I started doing video and I've seen some other people catch their stride doing Instagram live 
It's mm. kind of whatever fits not only your like personality, but your lifestyle. If writing a blog takes you eight hours, but then jumping on a podcast takes you 30 minutes, like, please do the podcast. <laughs> Don't waste your time with an eight hour blog. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, another, another point to this as well, which people can bear in mind to be more, how to be more effective at telling stories is Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot around this is, you know, not looking to create content it's looking to document it. Mm-hmm. And this is how you can really tap into this, how you differentiate yourself and also this authenticity and around your brand is by just telling the story of you living the story rather than just trying to create this artificial corporate unemotive imaginative approach which just loses people i think nowadays people just want to see that kind of raw footage of how someone comes across no fancy stuff surrounding it is just tell me who you are and speak from your heart really sure i love that whole um, are you referencing his newest book because i'm a huge fan of gary it's so good and when he talked about that, it, it kind of clicked with something I've already been thinking about. But we are 100% in the age of underproduction. People are tired of like really pretty polished videos filling up their feeds. If you look at some of the most viral videos lately, they're shot on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest <laughs> people on Instagram still do everything from their iPhone because we do. We want to see the raw and vulnerable and we want to hear the stories, even if they're messy. We, we, we do. We want to get to know people and that's... I've noticed people have enjoyed even just watching me as my content evolves. They feel super, super invested in me because they saw my first one and then they saw my second one and they see, they've seen me change and they're a part of, I mean, I've even recorded videos where I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. So I'm going to talk about how to figure out what to talk about. (laughs) And (laughs) People enjoy it because they're like, Oh, she's, you know, she's not perfect. And she's a person just like I am and she's figuring it out. And, Kind of the follow-up to those kinds of underproduced things is the conversation that comes from not having it right. For example, if you post something on social media or you send an email that's like, here's you know what I do and here's how I've solved problems, I'd love for you to try to change my mind. Or if I miss something, please share it below. Or if there's something you disagree with, I'd love to hear it. And creating the conversation instead of you just being the the top authority on a topic you can bring in other people and they can make themselves look good. They can Mm -hmm. feel good about themselves because they helped. And I found that not being the expert quote unquote, but being a facilitator in content has really, it just opens up the, the whole idea of community and that creates that story from there. So people can go through and look at the debate, especially when you're in an industry where the, you know, there's no hard and fast rules, you know, being underproduced, like you said, like, documenting the creation helps people be a part of your story instead of just listening to it after the fact. Yeah. And at the same time, you're educating them because there's individuals out there that want to follow in your footsteps or Mm -hmm. aspire to move into a space that you're in. So you're adding so much value in that. And and that in itself, people will remember you for because that's where they've learned their craft or got some ideas from of how they can be successful. Absolutely. And you, if anything, you're giving them permission to be weird or you're giving them permission to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And if they watch you try and fail, and if you said like, Hey, I failed at this and I'm doing it again, it, it just creates this, you know, this awesome environment where more people are going to pick up, pick up their talents and follow you. And they're going to inspire more people to follow you. And I think Gary V has ignited a new generation of, I'm just going to give it a shot. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's from from reading his book. That was the kind of push over the edge that I needed just to just to start this up, really. So, a big fan of his. And um, on the topic of practical topics of what we're going through at the moment, I think another thing that's really benefited me and some of the things that I've coached with individuals and companies I've worked with is something called CSR, Challenge Solution Result. And mm-hmm. this fits to your point earlier on in that you know you're able to still tell a powerful message in a short space of time. And what challenge solution result is, it allows you to tell a story whilst incorporating statistics. So the mm-hmm. challenge is, what was the challenge that, if you're doing this from a case study perspective, that a customer like the customer you're presenting to faced? What was the challenge? Mm-hmm. What was the solution you presented? And as a result, what happened from that? What change did they see? And you can do this within 30 seconds. You can build it out into three minutes, but it's really flexible and adaptable. And it's a great way just to brainstorm next time you're trying to have a conversation or go to pitch a customer or even creating some content, a video, a blog is what's the challenge, what's the solution, and what was the result? Absolutely. And I love that. And I have a mentor who even specifically, she kind of swaps out the word challenge for migraine problem because the more you can get to the problem. So like if someone has a migraine, they're going to do whatever they can to find their migraine pills. Like they will pay... $50 to get a hold of some, what is it, a leave, et cetera, <laughs> whatever it is, migraines motivate people. So if yeah. in that challenge, you can touch on their migraine versus just a minor inconvenience. You will do so much better because, you know, there's a ton of tech companies out there who all do the same thing, but the ones that really win are the ones that hit on that. Like I will go out of my way to solve this problem kind of problem. Mm, definitely. Definitely. And I think, there you know we've you've given some great insight and some experience and i feel like the listeners um tuning into this are really going to get some practical tips to take away and a couple of stories which is only fitting um, <laughs> to, to remember the the podcast by and uh, our conversation so so thanks for sharing your insights and your experience around that sarah sure what i'd love to do now is to delve a bit more into your story i mean you gave us a bit of an overview at the start but i'm really interested to find out a bit more about what makes you you so i suppose first of all what would you say inspires you or what's inspired you to the point of where you are now so one of the most <laughs> i'm told one of the more interesting things about me is i was homeschooled for most of my education and i'm from a family of nine children. So 11 people total in my family. And that's created, I didn't realize until later, a really weird kind of fun, kind of passionate person is I had to fight to be heard in the family. And I did a lot of self-directed learning. So I've kind of always had this hunger for figuring things out myself. And with so many kids, I didn't get, you know, the the help that maybe a two child household would get. So I got I had to figure out a lot of things on my own. And because of that, I have, I feel this strong compulsion to continue to find new things to figure out. And on that same path as being like the middle child, I really wanted to help my younger siblings. I was like, I keep figuring this out. Let me help you. Let me help you. And it's kind of pulled through as I've become an entrepreneur is I like to figure things out. I'm not scared to do it myself. Because, you know, in the public education, there's lots of rules. I grew up without any rules, homeschooled, all bets were off. <laughs> and because of that, I want to help other people kind of break out of those rules because I've lived a much more fulfilling life in that way is I'm not scared to go get my hands dirty. 
And I'm not scared to do any of that. So I've kind of found a passion in pulling people out of where they are and being like, hey, there's a lot to be lived over here. You know, you kind of got plugged into naturally our education is it's creating really intelligent people, but not a ton of individualized thinkers. And I can see in these people this brilliance that's kind of been kind of blocked up or kind of kind of put into a box. And I feel this deep compulsion to pull it out. So I find myself working with a lot of students and spend far more time than I probably should uh, kind of investing in those either behind me or ahead of me and just kind of encouraging people to think the way I learned to think, which once again, didn't find out till later, it was kind of weird. Mm, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's great sort of, you know, finding out how our childhood can shape how we learn today. And it's, it's sometimes you don't really notice it until you're actually in the midst of it, have some time for reflection and you do become a bit more self-aware and think, huh, yeah, it's crazy actually. This relates so much to what I was like as a as a child, and I, there's still things that I think of when I go back to being a child and the stories I get told from my mum that make me think. Oh, actually, that's where I get it from. It's not just you know something I take for granted. It's something that's inherent within me, really. Sure, and actually, so on that note, maybe just one more practical tip in this. Something I did the other day on LinkedIn that I think is a pretty good example of how you can share parts of you as a you know, salesman or whatever it happens, salesman or woman, however, whatever it happens to be. And then also make your audience the hero is I shared a picture of myself as a kid. It's like, I think I was like three and I was smiling really big. And I said, you know, it's so fun to see these. And I listed a few things that I, you know, were identified as a child and how they showed up now. What were you like as a child? And how does, how has that affected you? So it gave people an opportunity to talk about what they were like as a kid because sometimes people forget and it's fun for them to reflect and challenge them to tell their own stories. Mm. And on the topic of, um, you know, challenging people, what would you say as, or how would you say you've dealt with some of the challenges that, that you faced whilst becoming an entrepreneur or even before that sort of working your way through your, your career and your life so far? This is, and this is probably going to be a cliche, so I apologize in advance, but my support group, I mean, I have a husband and 10 out of 10 would recommend getting married. It's the best. <laughs> it's just, it's so great to have. I thought you were going to say 10 out of 10 would recommend him. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> For some reason. Uh, yeah, like it's, marriage has been one of those things that's really helped me the most is having, you know, this live-in cheerleader. But I also have some mentors who have gone before me who just really believe in me and allowing them to support me when I feel stupid or I fail and I call them crying. I just made a big mistake and they believe in me and they tell me their stories. Well, like one time, let me tell you what I did when I was your age. And it's, it's just so encouraging to have those people. And so when I hit those big stumbling blocks, I call them and I'm like, I'm going to end up on the street. How am I going to pay my mortgage? They're like, Oh, let me tell you about the time that the bank foreclosed on this building I purchased. And and I guess it kind of comes back to stories, but yeah. having somebody to kind of swap those stories with just gives a lot of encouragement. And I swear to this day, the only reason I've gotten through them is because they're like, hey, I've done it too. And you look, and I look up to these people and I want to be like them. If I didn't, I wouldn't follow them around. But they get a lot of fulfillment out of sharing their stories. And I get a lot of value when I'm caught on a big stumbling block is they're like, hey, I've been there too. I'm going to help you pick up and maybe avoid a few more as you go yeah and on that topic actually you know what well, the topic we've been discussing throughout this podcast and stories and looking at that from a different angle of how it benefits from perhaps a coach or management perspective is 
the more you're able to share stories, for example, with people you manage or coach, the more you're able to empathize with them and show, look, I've been in this situation before. I understand how you feel rather than just talking about it from a kind of theoretical point of view, or you just need to do this is look, you know, here's the story. Here's what happened to me. And here's what, how I came out the other side and here's how you can do the same. Oh, absolutely. I have, I was a manager for a period of time. And one of my favorite stories to tell new managers, I would be like, one time I had this employee and it was this whole big story about how I basically ended up blaming her for something I'd done wrong. And I always love telling this story because I could say, guys, I royally screwed up and here's what not to do. And they always found that kind of fun and it helped them remember that they're also going to make mistakes. And yeah. I'm like, well, she's successful. So I think I can get through the next mistake that I have. And it kind of cuts down on that fear of failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on top and staying on the topic of stories, is there any one story or piece of advice that you've been given over your, your life so far that's really stuck with you and you think about still to this day? Hmm. I I mean, I think I'm desperately interesting, so I'm gonna have to narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> also very, very modest. Let's see, probably one of my favorite stories that kind of changed the way I look at everything was I, so I worked at a DMV for six years. So I'm very, very accustomed. Wait, what do you guys call it? Department of Motor Vehicle. It's where people go in to get there. I don't know where your listeners are going to be, but it's a sad, sad place. No one likes to go. It's just sad. Yeah. And there's lines and a lot of people that work there are really grumpy. And I prided myself on being one of the happy people that people could come and work with. And I had a gentleman come in and he had a really, really complicated paperwork. It was, and he was older. And so I couldn't really explain to him what he needed. And so I was just kind of being like, ah, and I remember that I didn't take the time to look up at his face because I was so focused on what I was doing. I was kind of annoyed. I remember just seeing that he had really old, he had older hands. And I've always thought hands were kind of interesting because, you know, some people have veiny hands, some people have big fingers, little fingers. I try to imagine like, oh, maybe they're a piano player. Maybe they're a mechanic. And I remember, I remembered his hands and I was, he, he left and I was back at work and he came back in. And the only reason I noticed because I saw his hands again, but he was holding this little crystal rose and he turned it on and he goes, here, this is for you. And so I looked up at his face and just the kindest older man. And he said, he, he goes, I keep these, I carry these around in my car so I can give people them when I feel like they need to smile. And it just stuck with me, this person who daily made the decision to not only buy all of these little crystal roses that had a little button at the bottom that made them light up, but then went out of his way to go out to his car and then come back in. And I was like, man, he's, he's just got it right. And it just reminded me to, I mean, look up, look at the people I'm talking to. And then remember that you have no idea what people are going through. And by assuming they need to pick me up, you'll get the best out of people. Yeah. Great story. That's such a, such a nice thing. And, a, a, and as you say, something that stuck with you and a nice memory, I suppose, every time you think of it, it probably puts a smile on your face. You can just tell when you're talking about it there that it's, it's bringing that kind of positive vibes. Definitely. So away from, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and work life, what is it that keeps you entertained? How do you sort of maintain that balance and, and de-stress? Sure. I actually gave up on balance entirely and I stick with alignment now. Uh, a client of mine kind of introduced me to the idea of like work-life alignment. 
So everything I do points all towards like one direction. And I really want a peaceful life and everything in my job, everything in my marriage and my hobbies and my friendships, if they're not in align with that goal, then I get rid of them or I change them or I make them, you know, fit into that goal instead of trying to change my goal to fit them. So example would be if my work keeps me away from my husband and for extended periods of time, that's a problem. That's not an alignment with having a peaceful, content life because part of that for me is having a healthy marriage. So that would be an instance where my job is no longer in alignment. Mm -hmm. So when I have those, then I really, I get to experience the kind of fun of being excited to go into work, to come into my office, but then also excited to leave my office. And I feel like when I have both of those things, when I'm excited in the morning and I'm excited around five or six or whenever it is, I happen to leave my desk. I've, I've kind of figured it out. And that gives me the time and the, the mental space to do the things with my husband that I love. We're gardening this summer together. We have extended conversations about our zucchini and how it's doing and what we think is going to happen. And it, it's, it's really peaceful, calming activities that align with the kind of life that I want and, you know, I throw in vacations and all kinds of travel stuff there, but more than anything, I just try to make sure all of those things align and work together to create the life that I want. Nice. Yeah. Makes complete sense. All of that. Thank you. Of course. So I suppose one other thing I'd, I'd love to ask before, before we, um, before we go is, you know, if there's any other bits of advice for the listeners, not necessarily related to the topic that we've cover today around stories but anything else that you'd feel would they would benefit from from hearing or from starting to do as a result of listening to this oh okay this is one i've been giving this week i always have like a a rant a rant topic i throw at people <laughs> there's a lot of people who are scared to tell their stories they're scared to put themselves out on social media or to email strangers which is one of the best things you can do to grow your business it's exactly what you did to me you're like hey stranger Let's be friends. And I was like, cool, let's be friends. <laughs> a lot of people worry about the vanity side of things. And Gary Vee talks about this. Like, I'm worried about putting myself out there or pushing myself on people, or it's kind of the inviting yourself to your friend's house thing we were told as kids not to do. And as entrepreneurs, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And the way I got over that, and I've been encouraging others, is to think that <laughs> what you're doing it has nothing to do with you. It has all, it has everything to do with you believe in the problem you're solving. You believe in your solution. And if you had the cure to cancer, would you keep that to yourself? No, you would go out there and be like, everybody, look, I fixed a big problem. And by thinking, well, I don't want my face out there. I don't think my story is cool enough. You're making that all about you and not about how you can help your customers. So if the way you can help your customers is putting yourself out there, then you need to do that and get over yourself. At this point, I'm used to hearing my own voice. I'm used to seeing myself on camera. At first, it was weird because I was like, oh, how do I look and how do I sound? And are people going to think I'm cool enough? And when I shifted that mindset to I've got a problem I think people need solved, I've got a solution, and I've got to put myself out there for them to hear it. Once I shifted that, it got so much easier to think about the customer and to just put myself out there as often as I can. Great. Great. Lovely bit of advice there. Thank you again for that. And it's been, you know, a real pleasure speaking to you today, Sarah. I think, you know, I've, I've definitely picked up a few things from speaking to you, um, you know, from the experience you've got, the insights, and also a bit there around your own story, which has been great share, to share. So thank you so much for that. Oh, absolutely. I've enjoyed, uh, it's always fun to take some time 
to refine your thoughts and creating content, especially stuff like this, you have to take a beat and be like, do I understand this well enough to share it? So I really appreciate you challenging me, but then sharing some of those, those stats with me, I find, I mean, those are stuck with me now. The fact that people don't retain stuff just as stats, but they use the stories like that's so great to me. And I'd never heard that before. So I appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's the the irony of it, you know, talking about stats, but using your story to tell the stats. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it just helps. It just makes such a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for, the, for those listeners who want to stay tuned and find out a bit more about your world, Sarah, and what's going on, how can they, how can they find you? Sure. The best place right now is actually on LinkedIn. I'm Sarah Joe Crawford on LinkedIn. You can also find it by visiting sparkworth.com. That's S-P-A-R-K, worth, as in it's definitely worth your time. Check it out. And I share videos a lot on LinkedIn, and I really love making new friends. So connect with me there, and we'll definitely be able to do some cool stuff together. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Sarah. And, um, you know, it'd be great to to jump into one of these and another time soon. And there's probably a couple of topics that stems from what we talked about today. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And for the listeners, thanks for tuning in. Hope you found some really practical tools today, um, gained some insights into Sarah's story and also her experience. Um, so stay tuned for another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Thanks for listening, you lovely people. If you want to stay up to date with the latest goings on in terms of the podcast series, then you can find me on Instagram, not another sales guy with an underscore in each of those words, Chris Hatfield on LinkedIn, or via a website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. But until next time, stay tuned for another episode.